Who am I? You sure you want to know? If somebody told you I was just your average ordinary guy, not a care in the world, somebody lied. Truth is, it wasn't always like this. There was a time when life was a lot less complicated. Can I take your picture for the school paper? Sure. In this lab, we have 15 genetically enhanced super spiders. There's 14. One's missing. Peter, are you all right? I'm fine. Pete, hey, look, you're changing. I know I went through exactly the same thing at your age. No, not exactly. Wow. Peter, may I introduce my father, Norman Osborne? Great honor to meet you, sir. Harry tells me you're quite the science whiz. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. Whatever it is, somebody has to stop it. With great power comes great responsibility. This is my gift. Wow. It is my curse. Who are you? Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. Do I get to say thank you this time? Too much. You're not Superman, you know. Hello and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program. I'm Paul Spitaro and today I am joined by Jonathan Kreitz. Hey, hey how's it going? Good. How you doing? Very good. Sorry I jumped on you there. That's okay. Don't don't worry about that. It happens all the time. <laughs> now, I think you and I have recorded together about two or three times in the panel discussions on things, but I think this is the, our first one-on-one -on -one discussion. I believe if, you're right. If I my believe memory you're right. is accurate. Yeah, we don't do as many of those panel get-togethers as we used to. I think it just became a little unwieldy, maybe, but yeah, it did seem we used to have group discussions on every... Well, on that, and also it feels like there's just there could be a panel discussion every weekend these days with uh, the way the superhero and kind of geek culture movies come out all the time. Yeah, that's, that is very true. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I kind of soured on them a little bit only because uh, it did feel like there was too many. And I know, you know, Scott McGregor was generally running them, and he started to feel like, okay, i got to limit this to, you know, five people, six people, whatever it is, because it was, you know, you get, you get a room of 13, 14 people, everybody trying to get their point in. Uh, you know, basically nobody gets to because there's just not enough time. Sure. Uh, so that was one of the reasons that inspired me actually to start doing this show because it just gave me a forum to talk movies, which you know, along with comics and uh, comics, television and music are you know those are the things I'm kind of passionate about. So uh, it opened the door for that, so, and it also 
gave me the opportunity to do stuff like this where I get somebody like you who I don't yeah. get a chance to talk to very often and, you know, spend spend the, you know, do an hour show but probably talk for, you know, two, two, two and a half hours and just have make a nice night of it, you know? Yeah, no doubt. And I appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, I, I really like a lot of the podcasts that you do regularly. I listen to I really have been a long time listener to Back to the Bins. And uh, with Is It Jaws, I usually drop in, I'd say, for about 75% of the movies. You know, if it's a movie I'm not really interested in or I've never seen, you know, I may not, I may not catch that one. But uh, I really like the, the last one I listened to was the Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, with my weeder friends. Um, with the weeders, yeah. That was, um, I'm in the midst right now, actually, of a kind of Harry Potter binge read. I had never read all the novels. I only had read maybe the last four, I think. Maybe, mm-hmm. the, maybe the last five, maybe from the third one on. Regardless, I, in the last about six weeks, have been just blasting through the books. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun to hear y'all's take on that movie because I think that's my favorite of the movies. It's definitely one of my favorites, and it's interesting because it was Dave's least favorite. I, I know. I couldn't hardly believe that. Well, it's it's I, you know I've come to embrace differing opinions. Uh huh. I, I like when when there's somebody on in which whatever show it is I'm doing, uh, when there's somebody on the show who can articulate their thoughts and they disagree with me. Sure. I like that. I don't yeah. like the. I disagree with you, but I can't say why. Right. <laughs> you know, because that doesn't really yeah. make for an interesting conversation. But I think the the intelligent disagreements sometimes, and sometimes I can't articulate why I disagree. So I, I don't mean to blast anybody in particular. Uh, but when when you can, when you can have a healthy debate about something like that, I, I like that, and I find it. I think it makes for a more enjoyable listen. Well, I think um, what you said has described a lot of. <laughs> What's been going on in uh, the Star Wars fandom here recently? Although I do feel like it it quickly veers into the uh, can't explain why, but I hate it or love it with you know indiscriminately a little too quickly with that. But there's been a lot of discussion there as well. You know, just uh, I, yeah. I think sometimes sometimes that's based on nostalgia. You know, especially. I guess people a little older than you, but uh, people who grew up and were, say, six, seven years old when the first Star Wars movie came out, and that really does have their childhood where they saw Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi all before they were really in their teens. Sure. And then, you know, then they came and they made the prequels, and, you know, and by that time they would have been, you know, I guess I'm trying to think. They would have been young adults in their early to mid twenties, and then now what they're doing now. Uh, I think sometimes it just doesn't live up to what they thought it should be, based upon their childhood sure. impression of things. Yeah, no, I'm so, sure that's a huge part of it. And I, I think sometimes with people like that, and I don't mean to say that as a pejorative. I just mean people who have that kind of background. There really is nothing you can do that's going to live up to the level of what they want. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or at I, least not universally. No, yeah. I mean, of course, yeah. I, I mean, I know there are people who like it all. And, and some of that's personality, too, I guess. Like, I'm a fairly easy-to-please fan of a lot of stuff. You know, I tr- like, if I truly l- love a property, a property, I should say, it's hard for me to be critical sometimes, but... Um, 
yeah, I think it's hard to explain the way things have gone with Star Wars fandom, though. It's just like, yeah, we don't want to get off on a tangent on that, but I agree. Like, if someone has a very reasoned rationale for, like, well, I didn't like it for these five reasons, and maybe I would have liked it more if it, you know, if it had explained this part to me, or, you know, there could be some very logical reasons why it just really didn't connect with you, but it seems like it often can just just spiral out of control into just, well, I hate it and you're stupid if you like it or vice versa, you know? <laughs> well, it's, and, and sometimes it doesn't even have to be, to be that poorly thought out. Uh, right. I know I was talking to our mutual friend, Chris Tyler a while back and the movie Goodfellas came up. Okay. And I'm a fan of that movie. I, I, I Me really too. enjoy that. I think and it's, he's, uh, he's not really. And I, said, oh, maybe that's a good one for us to do an episode on because we could have a nice, healthy debate about it. And, he, you know, he openly admitted, he says, no, not really. He says, it's just, I don't like that kind of movie. It's not, you know, it's not that he's, I'm sitting there, you know, he's not sitting there saying, oh, it's bad because A, B, C, and D weren't done well. Mm-hmm. It's just not his cup of tea. So he's not going to be able to say, this is bad. He's just going to say, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's not going to be a healthy debate. Well, I'm going to have to get on to him about that because I'm, I'm strongly in the Goodfellas is one of the like best movies ever uh, category. Now, I do feel like there's been, you know, a hundred Goodfellas ripoffs with the narration and the kind of, you know, like almost like a biographical movie, you know, following one person's life and they have all the narration and the, and the pop music and all that stuff. I do feel like that it set a, it almost made a style or genre of its own. Mm -hmm. But, uh, man, I think Goodfellas is a classic, but I'm just have to agree and to disagree with Chris on that one. Yeah. But like, you know, I've, I've often said too, though, that I don't want to debate somebody in what they like or don't like. I think, sure. art, you know, when you're talking movies, you're talking comic books, you're talking art, you're talking music, any of those things, you know, your tastes are what they are. And who am I to tell you what you, you know, that, that you're, you know, you're not intelligent if you don't like this or, right. or you know, or vice versa. If you right. were smart, of course you'd like this. Uh, you know, it's just, it, it's silly. You know, every, everybody's allowed their own opinions and it's just a matter of uh, whether or not you feel passionately enough to, put it into words, whether it's positive or negative. Uh, All that said, we're here today to look at the first of the Spider-Man trilogy from 2002. Um, I had uh, had previously talked to various people about what movies they'd like to cover at some point, and John had had said he wanted to cover Spider-Man 2. And I took it on myself to expand that, that we would do the, the whole trilogy, which he was game for. And thank you for coming on and doing that. Uh, You're welcome. I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I had said, I think uh, when you guys had covered, I think it was on Back to the Bins, you did the top 100 superhero movies and you kind of polled far and wide amongst uh, our internet geek friends. Mm-hmm. Um, that's That was kind of my first really putting pen to paper, kind of thinking, you know, thinking like directly about what my favorite superhero movies would even be. And Spider-Man 2 is pretty high up there for me. This one is as well, not to uh, jump the gun. (laughs) But I definitely appreciate you having me on to talk about these three movies. Yeah, so, I mean, you uh, now, did you first see this in the movies or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What were you, like a... 
I was young, a senior young teenager, senior in high school. So about sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, I was. Uh, I would have been seventeen. Okay, so that's actually a great. No, age sixteen. To sixteen. It. Sorry, sixteen. I would have been sixteen. Okay. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I, I was uh, at this point. I, I was taking my son to see this, so I was considerably older. Um, <laughs> so, but but that may make for a very different experience. But you know, I, I kind of have between us, we'll have all three perspectives because. You know, I'll, I'll have been, I was, you know, well into adulthood. You were a, uh, you know, a teenager and my son was, uh, five. So I've, I've wow. seen, you know, between us, we've seen, uh, you know, a lot of the possibilities here of, <laughs> of, well, what and I've, I've yet to show these to my kids yet. Um, we're kind of slow rolling, you know, the, uh, kind of modern superhero movies and action movies and stuff like that. They're all pretty young still, and even the seven-year-old, although I'm sure he would love this one, it's tough to, you know, work a way to show him a movie and not also have the little brothers around too, mm-hmm. you know. So we're just like, you know what? There's no rush. We can we got plenty of time to watch all these movies. But after rewatching it here uh, in preparation for the show, I, I think I'll have to figure out a way to show it to him soon because I think he'd really like it. Right. Yeah. Well, it's funny because my son got very into it. Uh, I had thought that Spider-Man 2, which we're not going to discuss at any uh, length today, I had thought that one was the one that was uh, more intense and not appropriate for him at that age, but he managed to see that too, and it mm-hmm. didn't, did not have the negative effect I was concerned it might have, uh, to the point where he he was so into Spider-Man at that point, he was constantly wearing Spider-Man you know, shirts and whatever, and he was on, you know, he was, he was a, a very little boy, so he was on a soccer team, and there were several Matthews on the team, so the coach just decided to call him Spider-Man from that point. Nice. So very he, good. He was, he was very into it. That's uh, good. And, and, you know, it's fun to see it through those eyes to an extent. But taking us back to then, yeah, you know, Spider-Man on film had only been in the 1970s in the Nicholas Hammond <laughs> TV series, which really, you know, didn't didn't live up to the, you know, the level of what you saw in comic books. And I've and never then, seen that. Um, I'm aware of it, but that was something I had never even seen. Yeah, well, you know, Spider-Man... You know, it was the formula was you know you wouldn't see him in the costume all that much, and when you did, he wasn't fighting supervillains. It would be like against mobsters or somebody like you know gangs, sure. things like yeah. that. It, it and and you know they they had you know a 1970s special effects level and the budget for that you know right. so you, you you weren't seeing the spectacular CGI type stuff that you're going to see in a movie like this. And this came out in 2002, so, you know, the movies were kind of ramping up at this point. You know, you, you know, in the late 70s, you had Superman. Then the late 80s, you had the Batman movie. Right. And then, you know, as the 90s were going on, you, actually, you didn't really have very much in the 90s themselves. It was in the early, late 90s and early 2000s where you started to get, you know, Blade right. and, and movies like that. And this was the... You know, even though Blade was a Marvel movie, this was the first attempt by Marvel, you know, to really do a big budget movie with one of their, uh, you know, their core characters. Even though well, and I don't want to, I want to leave out there. Um, in 2000, you had the first X Men movie, 
right and I actually there, had that's a, true. And I had that as a note here that basically um, my family like sounds like a lot like yours and that we went to a lot. My parents would take us to lots of movies. I'm the oldest of five kids and I had three brothers and my sister as well. She loved going to movies. But um, me and my brothers, I mean, we saw Blade. We saw X-Men. We were primed and ready for basically the superhero renaissance, if you want to call it that, which I think you're right. Those movies, while they were popular and did well for what they were, I think this Spider-Man movie really kicked it up, you know, to a much, much higher level. Yeah, and, you know, I haven't done the X-Men, or at least not, you know, the first few Uh uh, on this yet, but I I would say, like, the first X-Men movie... uh, I enjoyed that very much when it came out, but time hasn't necessarily been as kind to it as it could. Uh, and and I was rewatching this. I hadn't seen this in a little while. Me neither. And I was concerned that the, that I was going to be looking at the same same type of thing, where I was going to kind of cringe a little at some of the special effects or some of the uh, some of the decisions that they made. Uh, and I didn't really. So you know, right off the bat, that's. This, this decisions they made I would have done differently, but it does hold up in that it was still an enjoyable watch. So no, I would, I would agree. I, I really enjoyed rewatching it. I had not seen it in a long time. About, I don't know, six or seven years ago, we really very uh, violently purged our DVD collection, and for some reason... Um, the Spider, I had Spider-Man one and two on DVD. They got purged with a bunch of other stuff, and I think I did that with the intention of like, well, I'll get it on Blu-ray at some point, or I'll get it on digital at some point. I had not, so and I just basically just had forgotten that I didn't own a copy of it. But rewatching it, um, I would agree. I, I feel like all things considered, it it really holds up. It's funny. I well. I had a note here um, that basically when this movie came out, I was not a, I mean, I would pick up a random comic here or there from the grocery store or the flea market or something like that, but I was not a big comic reader growing up. For a lot of kids that I knew and where I grew up in Charleston, West Virginia, um, a lot of kids I knew, I don't think there was a local comic shop nearby, anywhere that I knew of at least, um, where we got a lot of our comic information would come from things like the, the Fox um, Spider-Man series, the Fox X-Men animated series, the Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series. That was basically our, you know, exposure to these characters. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that, that wasn't a bad way to get into them, actually. I mean, again, what, you know, talking about, I don't want to make this about my son, but yeah, yeah. he got a lot of his Spider-Man exposure from that cartoon. I had bought on eBay, uh, you know, a... a bootleg set of all the Spider-Man 1990s cartoons. Oh, and right. He, he wore out those DVDs. <laughs> he, he was watching them, you know, nonstop for quite a while. Yeah, and I mean, they did a lot of, I think they adapted a lot of stories pretty directly. Um, I'm sure they had some original stories as well, but um, that was my main exposure. I did, I think, maybe in 2000 or 2001, my family went to Universal Studios and we went, that was right when Islands, of, I think that's right when Islands of, of Adventure had opened. Uh, and Spider-Man I, ride. So we did Spider-Man and it was great, but I bought in the gift shop. I know we were just talking about that earlier and it's totally true. When you go to the parks, you end up spending a lot of money in the gift shop. And my parents bought me a, uh, 
a trade paperback, and it was the only one I had of Spider-Man. It was the very best of Spider-Man. Have you ever seen that one? Uh, not back that I'm when, aware of what, what stories were in it. Well, so it was back when Marvel, you know, before trades became this huge market, they would just do these, you know, the old kind of old school Marvel trades. But it was um, Amazing Fantasy 15. Mm-hmm. It was Amazing Spider-Man number 33, which that's the one where um, Spider-Man's under the massive pile of debris. Right. And he's got to get which, the medicine to Aunt May. And, yeah, the, the master planner. Yes, that's a that's a fantastic issue, which they kind of ripped off and not ripped off. They homage in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, I think. But um, it had yeah. Spider-Man number 50, which is Spider-Man No More. Right. It had, it had 248, 271, 317, and 365. I think the story from 248 was the kid who collects Spider-Man. And then the that sounds right. And then 271, I think I looked all these up earlier, so at least a few of these I know. 271 was whatever happened to Crusher Hogan, which was the wrestler he fought in his uh, in Amazing Fantasy 15. That was a pretty good story. And then um, it had a great. I think 317 was a really good Michelini McFarland Venom issue. So that was really my in terms of comic, you know, exposure. That was the total ex- extent, pretty much, of my Spider-Man knowledge before seeing this movie. But uh, I thought, you know, all in all, it was a really good origin for the story. I mean, for the character, sorry. Yeah, and, and I thought this was one of the better done ones. Sometimes with these movies, you know, you, you can sense that the creators are almost embarrassed of the source material. Yeah. And I didn't think that was the case here. I, I, I really didn't. I thought there was, you know, to some extent that Sam Raimi embraced it all. Uh, you know, the, he, he made some changes. I thought, you know, some of it was just kind of updating the whole situation with where the spider is and all of that. But that was fine. Right. Uh, and then, but, you know, I guess the, the, only, the only really major change he made was to have the organic web shooters. And that's something that I understand had kind of been debated for quite a while, because this this movie was in production hell for a long time. It it had been uh, apparently you know licensed out for 25 years, uh, and no movie had ever been made. And, and it was just you know like there were so many different directors who who kind of were were putting together their treatment for how they wanted to go with it. And I think that you know the organic web shooters was something that had been discussed you know on and off over the years. Yeah, I mean, I and I had a note here that going into the theater, like I was a senior in high school, I was going with a huge group of people to see it. No one I was with had any clue that it had been, like you said, like in developmental hell for 20 plus years. I mean, this was back still when, at least then, I wasn't on the Internet very much. So even if that kind of information was available, I just had no clue. I mean, and I don't think it I think I think we all thought the organic web shooters were a little weird because if even if you watch the show like we all did, like instead of reading in the comics, um, his constant balancing of having enough web shooter fluid or whatever else is like something he's dealing with all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. or it's a plot device and a lot of issues that might run out of web webbing. Um, So, yeah, going to organic web shooters. I actually didn't even put a note of that in here, even though I think you're right. It was something that 
kind of caused a kerfluffle with some fans, but I thought it was pretty cool. I don't know. I, I, it did I not have bother to me say, at all. Uh, one, 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 of, one of my problems with the organic web shoot is it's just kind of dopey. Yeah. But, uh, you know, on, on a real spider, you know, the, the webs don't come out of their arms or legs. Yeah. You That's know, a good like, point. <laughs> and, and it, you know, it, it almost comes like from, from the butt area. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, so it's like, well, you can't do that. No. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's just, you know, like, well, why would his body automatically put it to the wrists? Like, I don't know. Like, I just had a, a tough time kind of acclimating myself to, is this what would happen? But, it, I mean, it didn't affect my enjoyment of the movie at all. Uh-huh. It's just like when I gave it thought, I was like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, but, that's a you know, fair that's, point. You know, I think to some extent you you, you have to be willing to just uh, suspend your disbelief in these movies, and you want it to be as plausible as possible in the way they present it. But you don't necessarily want them to say, "Okay, this hell has to be you know scientific fact," because if that's the case, then everybody who's getting you know who's exposed to this radiations, you know, they're just dying of cancer. They're not getting superpowers. Right. So you know, it, it's it's silly for me to to latch onto that, but. You know, whatever it did <laughs> to some extent. <laughs> uh, now, what I, I'm going to say this roundly for every live-action Spider-Man ever. Okay. Uh, they've never had the Peter Parker that I picture in my mind. Okay. Including Tobey Maguire. And I'm not going to debate it on the other people who've played Spider-Man, sure. at least not until we get to any other movies like that. Right. But for now, let's talk about Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Okay. Um, like I said, he, he's just not what I pictured. Uh, he, he didn't physically look like the way Spider-Man looks in the comics to me. Uh, he didn't look like a high school student, even though, you know, before the movie's over, they have him graduate high school, which I don't know if I am particularly a fan of that either. Uh, but I mean, I, I thought he did well with it in that one of the things I always go to is when people look like they're enjoying doing something, it's more fun to watch them. And I thought he looked like he was embracing the role and enjoying the part. I don't know if he was or not, but it looked like he was. Well, I think we said, I just said, I know that was a, a sticking point for some people with the web shooters, but I know another one was Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker. I, like I said before, didn't have a huge exposure to the comics, so I I really liked him as Peter Parker. I do agree. I, I've always, like I said, I've always been in the pro-Toby camp, but I do feel like he does look a little old for the high school portion. The idea of them graduating from high school, that takes place, like, I want to say in the first half of the movie, I was going to ask you, how much time do you think has elapsed in the course of this movie? Is it a year, two years? I mean, it's it's kind of ambiguous, but there's an idea that some time has passed between it, it the beginning and the end. But you you got to figure that in the beginning, when he gets his powers, it's during his senior year. Yeah, yes, I don't I don't think we I don't think we're doing multiple high school years here. Right. So you you know let's let's just say for argument's sake. Uh, they show they show him outside like he's chasing after the bus. They're not wearing winter clothing, right? So you could either you could go with the, you know you can go with the thought it's, that it's the fall or the spring, right? Uh, I'm, I was I kind of would have more or less thought it was the spring because we do get to the graduation fairly Pretty quickly. Quick. Yeah. So I would have thought okay you know he's at the point of the graduation he's been Spider Man a few months, or he's had his spider powers a few months. 
but then you know we get to the point we we don't actually see them in college. No, but, the only but, they get to Thanksgiving because they have the dinner. Um, although yeah, you want to know, it's Thanksgiving in New York City. Together. You know, November in New York City from the rest of the movie, but. That's the only really I can think of. I don't think they get to Christmas, but that's the only kind of reference to a date or holiday I could think of. But if I had to venture a guess, I think I would say this movie takes place over about a year. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. So you know, I, I like I said, I think I, I thought the special effects on Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man were pretty decent. Uh, there were points when you can kind of see, you know, the a little bit of it that it's not totally real, but in 2002, I think you know, I think they did a good job. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't look outdated to me. I thought the costume looked good on him, or I, I'm assuming that the costume is also you know somewhat CGI. Yeah, some I think the so I watched a couple of the behind the scene documentaries that came with this Blu-ray set I got here recently, and. There were several like behind the scenes shots of you know Raimi directing and that kind of thing where where Tobey Maguire or whomever was in the costume like for some of the stunt stuff as well. Yeah, they almost I don't know if the eyepieces were removable, but it was almost like the entire costume was real, and that maybe the eyes like the eyes of the mask were CGI or maybe they were like they could be removed and put back on, but there was there were several scenes where like he was in the full complete suit except he basically it was like not without the eyepieces. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I that's something else I think that people had opinions about. Uh, if I recall, you know, was the suit. I think the suit actually was pretty good. I gotta um, say, I think of of the three different iterations we've had between this, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man ones, yep. and then the Marvel Cinematic ones. Yep. I think this is the costume I like the best of the three. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. It looks good. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I like Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker. I think he. I think if you feel like he's a little old in this one, I feel like by the third one, not that, not to skip ahead, but I do feel like it's it's a little even that much more apparent, you know, several years in the future that he's a little. I think a little old for the character, but. Well, I, I think in the era where they're making these movies, and again, we don't want to get too much into the second and third because I've already promised our audience that you and I are going to do discussions on those. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I, I think this is, you know, this is a little bit different of a superhero era than what we have now. I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe has totally rewritten the rules for for uh, these movies. I think this was a time where you planned to make a trilogy. And that was going to be the story. And then you moved on and, you know, you, you'd wait a while and maybe they'd reboot it or whatever. But you didn't plan on doing something where you'd have, you know, this Spider-Man be in, you know, seven or eight different movies over the course of time. Uh, so I think they wanted to get it, from, you know, started in high school like you did in the comics, but then eventually get to the point where he was at least of a mind to get married, even if they were never going to do the wedding of him and Mary Jane. Sure. So for that reason, because they're trying to progress it that much in the course of three movies, excuse me, um, I think his age didn't really matter that much as we got further into the story. That's a good point. That's a good point, because he's basically you're you're showing him as kind of the way Peter Parker was in the 90s, you know, as like adult Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. 
that's you know? that's a, that's my take on it, and I think yeah. that was kind of how they viewed it. I don't think they, you know, they made three movies. I think that was originally their intention to make three. I know when the third one was out, they were talking about the potential of a fourth one. Yes, I think they decided Randy was to on board for a fourth one. Yeah, but I don't I don't think that was ever firm, you know, like a firm plan. And I think it was more based on the fact that hey, we're still making money on these than right. it was. You know that they we have a great you know, story to tell, or something like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think you know Andy Leyland has talked about how he thought it would be much better to do a trilogy of high school Spider-Man, and then maybe from there you could work beyond that and take him into his college years or whatever. And I kind of like that. I, I think the comics, uh, and this just came up recently. I was talking to somebody about this, but I think the comics missed out because they didn't know how much time they were going to get with this character right you know it, back in 1962 when stan and steve ditko created this character you know i don't think they could have envisioned that you know 50 some odd years later they'd still this character would still be coming out with new stories sure so you know they had him graduate high school you know way too early right you know they, i think there were a lot more stories they could have told but they didn't, you know, they didn't know how much time they had, and they wanted to move along and age the character, you know, as time was going on. So, but I think that was a missed opportunity, and I think the movies, at least until now, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, have followed course with that, and I don't know that that was the right, that that's the right way to go. Right. I, I think, you know, like I said, I think there's stories to be told, and at least so far in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they, they look inclined to keep him young for a while. Yeah, and I, th- I do think that works in their favor for um, the current Spider-Man. But let me ask you this. So you, I've retroactively, I've read a lot of comics, but I've, I've read the first couple, um, like Marvel Masterworks, Amazing Spider-Man, but mm-hmm. I've not exhausted, you know, I don't even think all of Stan Lee's run yet on Amazing Spider-Man. But I've heard a lot of people say, well, this this one is basically, this first film is basically the Silver Age Spider-Man, you know, high school going, in, you know, just getting into college, the Green Goblin, all that. Then it kind of moves into more like a Bronze Age Spider-Man in the next film, and then like modern or like 90s era Spider-Man by film three. Do you think that's a fair breakdown of the way the kind of three movies fall or what do you think you know, about I, that I, I hadn't thought of it from that perspective but i do think that that is a fair take on it yeah uh i think that you know the storytelling you know the method of storytelling to some extent and the, the characters that we're dealing with i think it does fit that you know that description so i yeah i do think that's fair yeah uh you know this this one yeah, yeah. Now, and you know, just taking it from there, uh, what's your take on the Green Goblin in this one? And let's let's go. Let's break it down separately. Uh, let's talk about Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin, and then we could talk about him as Norman Osborn. Okay. Well, as the Green Goblin, um, I never even back when the film first came out, I didn't particularly care for the the mask that he wears, the kind of helmet mask. But I, I actually, I liked him as the Green Goblin. I thought he was actually sufficiently scary as a villain. Like I actually felt Spider-Man was in peril basically every time he came on screen. Um, 
I don't know. What did you think about that? I mean, I thought the the goblin glider, the pumpkin bombs, all of that, I felt was you know portrayed really well. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I thought he was adequately threatening, and uh, you know he he was a physical match for Spider Man. Uh, but I hated the costume. I absolutely yeah. hated the costume. And it was further emphasized for me when I was down at Universal Studios and we were in around by where the Spider-Man ride is and we took a picture with the Green Goblin that they have there who was in a much more traditional Green Goblin costume. And I just looked at him and I thought, why couldn't they do this in the movie? This yeah. guy looks scary. <laughs> you know, there's no reason you couldn't do that. Right. But I, yeah. you know, I, I, I go with that. That is a, an example of them not liking the source material or being embarrassed of the source material or however you want to view it as that goes. You know, for the most part, I thought that they, you know, as far as the origin story goes, uh, and, and as far as the Spider-Man character in general, I didn't feel that, that I saw that embarrassment of the source material. But in the Green Goblin costume, I thought I did. Yeah. I'd say that's fair. I, I, I mean, like I said, I didn't really care for it uh, back then. Watching it now, it, it almost, it almost is a little just. I mean, it is. It's just goofy. I mean, the part where he's kind of monologuing to Peter Parker and the lenses on his helmet slide back and on his mouth, and you can like see Willem Dafoe's teeth and eyes, like through the mat it just is weird i don't know I, I don't really care for it but yeah i think you know the the that being said you know helmet and the costume in general wasn't too bad to me the bodysuit or whatever i just really hated the helmet but uh that aside i was bummed i can remember being in a the theater and being disappointed that he killed the green goblin because i knew in the comics at least from what knowledge i did have or from the animated show as well that you know, the Green Goblin was like Spider-Man's like arch nemesis, his, his, you know, this recurring villain that would plague him, you know, so mm -hmm. that he died so quickly and little did I know that that was basically going to be, it already was the premise like in the Batman movies, for example, but was going to be basically the standard for superhero movies going forward that they get these interesting villains and then kill them, uh, in the movie. Um, yeah, which I, I've often felt was a mistake. You know, if you're going to do sequels, I, you know, I, I didn't want it to be like what they did to some extent with the Christopher Reeve movies, where it's got to be Lex Luthor as the villain every time. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't want that necessarily to be the case. Sure. But I do like them to have that villain in the back pocket. Uh, you know, I would have liked to have seen, and again, I'm tangenting here, but I would have liked to have seen Lex Luthor be a little bit more in the background manipulating things than to be directly a villain, uh, which I guess to some extent they tried to do in Superman 2. But, you know, I, I again, I don't want to go too far off on the tangent, but I do kind of like, I did like the idea of them keeping, you know, him alive to, to still be a thorn in the side uh, of Peter Parker or, or at least a threat looming that he could come back or something, you know? Yeah, no, and I and I, I I agree with that. I think what, like you were saying before, that they were trying to basically accelerate the story to like adult Spider-Man. I think that getting Willem Dafoe and as a Green Goblin out of the way in this first act of a three-part story just gets you James Franco on deck then and puts the, you know, 
puts animosity between him and Spider-Man and obviously him and Peter Parker unknowingly. So I think, I think that's probably the driving, you know, idea there is that they want to get Harry set up to have this conflict with, with Spider-Man. Right. And also, and also that what you said earlier about it, them trying to like accelerate to like the more adult Spider-Man. I think that's why they went to Mary Jane Watson and skipped Gwen Stacy in these films. You know, they were almost like, let's just go past, you know, that first, the first girl and, and get to the second one. And, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And we'll talk a little bit about Mary Jane in a minute. Yeah. But, uh, now let's let's transfer over from Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin to Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn, because it was a somewhat different portrayal. Uh, you know, he he was he was effectively play, playing two characters in the movie. Yes. And I liked him as Norman Osborn a lot more than I liked him as the Green Goblin. Actually, Osborn. even though, like I said, I did find him to be threatening as the Goblin. Well, no, I I mean he was sufficiently crazy when needed. He was. You know, very congenial at the beginning. I mean, he was very hard on his son, friendly with Spider-Man, you know, trying to get this, you know, trying to drive his company to greater and greater heights. Uh, I thought he was really good. And then, you know, once things, once he becomes the Goblin, then he's menacing, he's he's as menacing to me almost out of the suit as he is in the suit. The, yes. uh, the Thanksgiving dinner and especially where he goes upstairs to, you know, See, because they thought Peter was up in the room. They thought they heard Peter upstairs, and he's hiding on the ceiling. I mean, he's as menacing in those scenes or those kind of scenes as he is in in his Goblin costume. I think he's he's really good. Yeah, you, even even just that little scene where uh, he reaches in and takes some of the stuffing, and it may hits him in the hand. Yeah, and you start you start thinking he's going to reach out and belt her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he kind of growls at her, like grimaces at her with his teeth. You know, I mean, like, yeah. No, he yeah. he. The the scene that I think is you know everyone remembers, or at least a, I think a lot of people remember from this film is the whole part where he's having his Gollum moment almost, where he's talking yes. to himself in the mirror, and uh, that could be so cheesy. You know, that could come across as so you know, goofy, but I think he does a really good job in that part. I don't know if you I, think I like, so as well. I like but. his body language in that scene. I, if you, if you look at him like in, in the mirror, he's much more light on his feet, right? Almost like he's enjoying it. Whereas, you know, in, in the, I guess, real life portion of it, he, he seems more like he's weighed down and he's got sure. the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's suffering, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I think, you know, that came through to me, and I, I assume that, you know, Willem Dafoe was trying to put that point across because, you know, like, you definitely see it when he when he's in the mirror. He's just kind of, like, bouncing a little bit, and he's he's, he's enjoying it, you know? And, and I, I, I think that's an excellent scene, actually. Yeah, uh, I agree. Plus, just as, as a appearance thing, he absolutely looks like he could be James Franco's father. Oh yeah, yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah, they didn't have the crazy like striped hair <laughs> that nope. Osborne has in the comics, but they kind of the way their hair kind of swoops back, and I don't know. They they both have a look. They look enough alike each other and enough like the characters in the comics that I feel like it works. 
I think I think the hair. Just to comment on that a little, I think I think that gets overblown when people's descriptions. People say like they have cornrows. They don't have cornrows. No, 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 no. They, no. they have wavy hair where it kind of mm. like goes down and up in in waves as it's yes. going back over their head, and yes. and the the lighter part isn't a bald area. It's just that the light is hitting it differently because of that wave. Yes. You know, no, so, I understand that. It's just you know what I mean when I say like. No, I know exactly what you mean, but yeah, I just yeah. I've heard people call refer to it as cornrows, and it's not <laughs> cornrows. It's it's one of my pet peeves. That's funny. Yeah, they do. You're right. It's supposed to be like wavy hair, basically, or yeah, that's been had a little product in it, I guess. But um, no, I, I actually really like Willem Dafoe. Like I said, I was sad. I remember thinking, man, you know, I, I really thought he could have hung around as, you know, a, like you said, like a looming threat for Spider-Man. Like maybe he had got once, I guess once he figures out who Peter Parker is though, in this film, it maybe would be untenable to keep him around forever because he's just going to not stop basically until he's stopped Spider-Man. So, well, it may not be the most believable thing in the world, but in the comics they used to get it by that, you know, like, he he would get out, you know. He would get partial amnesia, and he wouldn't sure. remember. He wouldn't even remember that he was the Green Goblin. Right, right. And I, I think you probably could have pulled something like that off. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I would too. I mean, when they kind of—I don't know if it's like direct. I mean, some of the parts where he's kind of waking up and hearing the Goblin in the house, you know, like laughing upstairs, but it's not really laughing upstairs because it's all in his mind. You kind of—they play on that a little bit, but not to the point, like you said, where. He doesn't remember that Parker Spider Man or, or yeah. I, I'm thinking you, you could have you could have had some sort of a conclusion where he's actually terrified because he thinks he was attacked by the Green Goblin. Ah, you know, and, and that he's yeah. afraid the Goblin's going to come back or whatever, and and you know, and just leave you know, kind of have like a little bit of a uh, it's just kind of a spooky kind of end as far as him. Sure. As you know, the end of his story, that you know, obviously you'd have some sort of a denouement afterwards, which would be a little happier than that. But but you could have him looming as a threat because you don't know if he's going to get his memory back, if he's going to realize what's going on, you know, whatever. But I, I kind of like the idea of doing that instead of killing him off. But they wanted to play on the scene from uh, Spider-Man 122, and clearly they homage that because. His death scene is the same. I don't know if you've ever read that one. I'm I'm not read that, but I well, had in Spider-Man 121 is the death of Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy, right? And then in Spider-Man 122, they're having a uh, you know a knockdown dragout fight, and you know Peter's got him in the or Spider-Man's got him in the position where he could basically kill him at this point, and he decides not to. Uh, but what's going on while while he's doing that? Uh, He's using some sort of remote control to call his goblin glider to get Spider-Man from behind, and at the last second, Spider-Man ducks and it impales him. Gotcha. Yeah, and so then, basically, exactly the same as how this yeah, happens. Then. Yeah, and, and it's it, you know, so they they pretty much you know homage that in this in the movie, uh-huh. and uh, you know, it, in the in the movie, what happens is Harry, you learn later came along and took the goblin costume off of him and put him in, I guess, regular clothes mm-hmm. and blamed Spider-Man for his death because there was webs and whatever there. But, you know, Harry, and then Harry became the new Green Goblin after that. Yes, yeah. 
Well, that's so good they, to they know. wanted to go into all of that stuff, obviously, in this because they did kind of go with that. Yeah, well, that is what you know. In I'd said I'd seen this when I was a senior in high school. My I went opening night with a huge group of people. Would you believe it that right? I want to say it was right when Spider-Man first crashes through the wall. I guess it Roosevelt Island or what island are they battling on? Uh, I think it is end. Roosevelt Island. Okay, yes. so like right when the Goblin first throws him into this like decayed old building, um, I don't know if the reel broke, if it burnt up on the gate or whatever, but basically the film cut out. And, uh, you know, it's like the climax of the movie. And so everyone stands up and is yelling, and, you know, it basically took him like 15 minutes to get back to where we could finish the movie. But... Um, that that last battle, like I forgot how it's fairly brutal. I mean, the this the last battle between them here in the movie just is a like you said a knockdown drag out. It really is. Spider Man just is getting just pummeled basically, mm-hmm. um, and they didn't shy away from just really busting Toby's face up. I mean, he he really takes it pretty pretty rough there at the end of the movie. But and and you have to have this you know him without the mask on just so you know. You pay these actors to be the star of the movie. You don't want it to just be a masked character in front of you. Sure. So they, sure. they do feel the need to do that a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to jump past Mary Jane for just a moment since yeah, we were talking okay. about William Willem Dafoe. I want to go to James Franco. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing about his portrayal, it, it, it's probably a pretty minor thing, but I think it shows the childhood he had and his values. After the parade scene which is not one of my favorite scenes in the movie because i can't stand Maisie gray yeah. uh, but after all of that you know they they have the scene in the apartment and he's talking to mary jane on the phone and he, his comment is I, I, i'm gonna take you and i'm gonna buy you something because it'll make you feel good right and i'm thinking that's the childhood he had he he didn't get love from people he was just bought you know, his, his father would sure. uh, his father would say, yeah, just go buy him what he wants. You know what I mean? And that's what he would have to make him feel good. And to me, that just shows layers of his character. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like um, in this film, at least, he's pretty much just almost like the character of the underwhelming, you know, disappointing son or the, uh, you know, can't get his father's, like you said, like his father's true affection or, or can and then he gets, you could see he's not jealous of Peter. I don't actually think in this film he's, I don't actually think he gets to the point of like jealousy of Peter, but you can see the look on his face when Peter is praised by Norman that man, he would give anything to have that kind of praise from his father, you know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, um, but I feel like that's about where that's about as far as it goes in this movie. Um, I mean, I think he's really good as Harry Osborn, actually, and he's fine in this movie, but he didn't get a lot to do, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I don't feel like he had a big part of the story. No, uh, I, agree, I agree, and I, I don't think I don't think the story lacked for him not having it. I don't think he was mm-hmm. supposed to be a major, major player in it. No. Uh, but, you know, he's he's kind of Peter's only real friend. Yes. And I think that's the, the part he's playing, but then, you know, you you set up the conflict. He's, he's got one real friend and then his father is, you know, his mortal enemy. Right. So, you know, it, it makes for some pathos. No doubt. No doubt. And I, and I think it gets there for sure. I mean, obviously it makes 
us as the viewer, we have the irony of knowing what's going on that that they the characters do not. So, yeah, no, he. I do think it's funny at the beginning. Um, he's embarrassed to show up in the in the Rolls Royce or whatever kind of car that was that they're in at the very beginning. But by the end of the movie, that's his car. You know, mm-hmm. when he goes to his father's funeral, or yeah, it's his father's funeral. Now that's his car, and uh, so you can see the the progress you know he's made. But um, it's as, as Small and Brando would say, the son becomes the father, the father becomes the son. There you go. <laughs> there you go. What do you think of Kirsten Dunst? Uh, she's good. Again, I'm like I like I said, I I mean. Again, I think she looked a little older than... I mean, I was a senior in high school, and these were supposed to be seniors in high school. She looked a little older than the girls I was in high school with. I don't know how actually old she was when this movie was made. Um, I actually, out of the entire cast, I had probably seen more of her in movies than pretty much anyone else when this hit theaters. Um, Because I think by this time she had already been in... Oh man, uh, bring it on, maybe. And there's one where she's in a beauty pageant. I cannot even remember what it's called, but it's it's a uh, it's uh, like a farce. I mean, it's like a farce. It's a it's a comedy, but it's anyhow. I'd seen all those in the theater with my my girlfriend, who is now my wife, um, back mm-hmm. then. Well, but, she she was twenty when this movie okay. came out. When All it right. came so out, so I guess she's probably nineteen when it was. Yeah, filming. she's the right age then. I mean, she she's the right age. I just thought she she looked a little older, but she, I thought she was pretty good. I mean, um, she's the pre like in the comics. I always remember from what I had seen of Mary Jane her being much more glamorous. I guess. Yeah, and she's not even, quite there yet, you know. Well, even the younger Mary Jane, the face of Tiger, if you've hit the jackpot, Mary Jane, right, had had somewhat of a uh, glamorous attitude about her, right. That you didn't, you know, I didn't really see from Kirsten Dunst, to be honest right. with you. I, I, she didn't have the supermodel looks. Uh, I thought, you know, I thought her acting was okay. Uh huh. I thought, you know, I thought she was adequate in the role and. Uh, I don't know. There was something about the performance, like they were neighbors, literally. They were right next door to yes, each other. Yes, the girl next door. Yes. And there was like early on, it almost seemed like she didn't even know who he was. Meanwhile, she's he's her neighbor. So I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. That just didn't seem right to me. Right. Uh, but but you know, and and again, like I said, she didn't have the drop dead gorgeous looks that I've been, you know led to a believe, believe that Mary Jane should have. Uh, but, you know, I mean, she was adequate in the role as far as my take on her. Yeah, I, I would agree. I I would say adequate's right. I There probably could have been a lot of different actresses that have played that role and would have been just as good. Um, on the, I actually listened to a commentary track while I was watching the film for this episode, mm-hmm. and she's the, she's at, at least in the track I listened to, the only actor from the film in it and she was like really really into making this movie the character of spider-man the character of mary jane so at least in terms of you never know if like these people at least back then now with social media you probably get a lot better idea if someone thinks the source material is fun or something they're interested in or if they think it's just you know ridiculous but hey it's a paycheck she seemed to be really genuinely into 
making uh, at least his first one. So uh, that was interesting. I'll give credit for that then. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the two two actors that are just spot on in their appearance uh, are uh, J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. Yes. Bill, Bill Nunn as Robbie Robertson. They they look like they just came right out of the comic books. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, J.K. Simmons is fantastic. Um, I didn't get the actor's name that played Robbie Robertson, but also, you know, like you said, just right off the page. What did you think of Rosemary Harris's Aunt May? I, I've aired this grievance in the past that, oh and, and it's from the comics and the movies. Okay. Uh, until we got our most recent Aunt May. I've always felt that they skew way too old with Aunt May and Uncle Ben. You know, they, he's, you know, Peter's supposed to be 15 when he becomes Spider-Man. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is the, uh, Uncle Ben is Peter's father's brother. How much, how many years difference are there between Peter's father and his brother? Because if, if Peter's 15, his father, even if he had him a little older in life, is maybe 50 at that yep. point. Right. Uncle Ben looks like an octogenarian. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, that's that's the problem I have is just the, the skewing of the age that annoys me. Because the acting, the acting I thought was fine. Yeah. But the casting is what I have a problem with. Right. I thought both the actors were really, really good in the parts they had. I mean, I actually feel like Uncle Ben does a really good job of, you know, being that mentor figure to Peter. I think Rosemary Harris, um, does, I actually like her Aunt May a lot. I mean, they are, I've always wondered that even from, um, even, I mean, but in the comics, it would show Aunt May to look like a, a mummy almost. I mean, she oh, looks yeah. so oh, no. old. It's not that it's different from the comics. It's, it's a pet peeve I have with the comics as well. And then in, in the, around the civil war era in the comics, yeah, they, they de-aged her a little bit and they made her, you know, like somewhere in her sixties. Yeah. And still, you know, still kind of lively in, in her, uh, in her bearing. And I thought that was a much better choice. Improvement. Yeah. 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 I, um, I think she has a much bigger role in the next film, but I feel like her role, she didn't have much to do in this one. I mean, she doesn't really even have that many scenes with Peter once he becomes Spider-Man, you know? Well, the big scene for line. her is, is when the goblin attacks her. Yes. That and when she's in the hospital afterwards and is basically encouraging him. and Well, and she says uh, the line from the trailer that you're not Superman, you know. You know, yeah. that's her, her big line from the movie. But, yeah. Um, what did you think? I actually think, and I just had put supporting cast, you know, pretty much pitch perfect. And I included J.K. Simmons in that. And, uh, you know... I wasn't a huge wrestling fan growing up, but one of my favorite wrestlers was Randy Savage. I loved seeing him in this movie. Um, yeah, oh, I thought he was. I thought he was great. Yeah, he's great. Bonesaw's great. Um, Bruce Campbell, of course, and his bit role was fantastic. Um, it's funny. I didn't know anything about Sam Raimi. I had not seen any of his previous work. I don't think before seeing this movie. Literally, the only exposure to his work I had was an army of darkness t-shirt that a kid at school would wear all the time. And I thought it was really clever because it was the like lost in time surrounded by evil, low on gas army of darkness t-shirt that I always thought was so, so cool, but I had no clue that was the guy directing the Spider-Man movie. Um, 
but I like that he worked in, you know, his brothers in the movie. Uncle Ben's car, I guess, is his car that's in all his movies. Right. I don't even know what kind of Oldsmobile or whatever it is. Um, and having Bruce Campbell in it as well is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I like that he works in his... You know, as long as he can work them in without being, you know... In your face? Too, yeah, too in your face about it. That's I don't like Easter eggs that are too in your face. Because if sure. you don't get the inside joke then you're just being kind of left out in the cold. Yeah, but if they if they just move along the right way, then even if you don't get it, then it doesn't disturb you. And if you do get it, you get, you know, a chuckle out of it. Uh, I, I'm wondering, you know, by the time we get to the third movie, will we have had enough of, of, of Bruce Campbell playing three different roles? But we'll talk about that as we go along. I don't even remember what his roles are in the future movies, so I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to, to catch up on that. Well, yeah, so as, I mean, I don't know if you have any other ideas about the cast. No, I think that's about it with the cast. And just to kind of go through the story just a little bit, uh, I thought the origin was well done. I, th- I thought it, you know, played off well. I liked the scene when he's exploring his powers and he's learning how to use them. It had the the right degree of excitement about it, you know, and, and, and joy which I want. I want my superheroes to have a certain amount of excitement out of having their uh, powers. Excuse me. Uh, so I, I enjoyed all of that. Uh, I thought, you know, if anything, my biggest criticism of the story would be something we've kind of hit on already, is there's just the pacing of things moving along with the relationships and with you know, him graduating high school and moving out of his aunt's house uh, after his uncle was killed and then moving in with, with Harry. And, you know, like, like it's almost like things are moving along too fast. Yeah. But that's not a criticism of my ability to enjoy the movie. It's more of a criticism of the franchise and where it's going. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I, like I said, I would have liked to have seen them dwell on that, you know, at least make the first movie all high school. That's right. what I would have wanted to say. Well, and I do feel, yeah, I, I, I would have been fine with that. I think the, like we were saying, the pacing is a little quick earlier and even a little vague in some some idea of how much time has passed or what's exactly going on. But it's funny, watching it, it flows, though, really well, maybe in spite of all that. Like, I feel like the story as it goes, you know, you kind of these parallel paths of Peter, Peter becoming Spider-Man Norman becoming the Green Goblin, both exploring their powers, both doing what they can with it. Um, I feel like it. I feel like it works. You know, could mm-hmm. it have been better? Sure, but I actually feel like, however, however they did, whatever made them decide to go the way they did, I actually feel like in this movie it, it works really well. Um, I really like Peter's journey from being a. I mean, he's a boy when the movie begins. But by the end, he really takes his uncle's lesson to heart. I mean, I feel like he is a like he goes on this journey to basically become a man in in a single movie, um, and I like that. Right, my, my you know, I I didn't like the uh, parade slash party scene. Again, I, I don't like Maisie Gray, uh, and it also just felt like it was taken right out of the nineteen eighty nine Batman movie. Yeah. And that's that's one of my biggest criticisms of it. it. It didn't feel original. It felt totally derivative to me. Right. So I I didn't like that scene. I think they could have done that much better. 
and you know that is one of my criticisms of it and i'm wondering what you thought of that um i like the the actual like action of it the goblins attack him you know kind of flying all around times square and everyone's all confused at first you know all the drama on the um on the balcony and vaporizing the whole board of Oscorp with one of his pumpkin bombs. Um, I actually, I like the action that it's at a parade and all that seems it's like very incidental to me. I think it's a weird, um, time capsule to have Macy Gray or whomever be the, the, the musical person, you know, <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, it, it just kind of dates the movie in a way. Um, yeah. cause otherwise it's a pretty timeless kind of story. Um, yeah, I, I really like the action in that scene. Um, but I think that's probably for whatever reason, the daylight scenes I feel like are the ones where the special effects don't quite, I mean, they still look good, especially for being 2002 effects. In the 2002, I thought they looked amazing. I feel like the daylight ones don't quite look as good as That's they true. as the night ones. The the best action scene to me, uh, it's probably a tie for the end, but I think his first initial chasing down the robber that has killed Uncle Ben scene, where he's swinging kind of haphazardly through the you know learning to web swing basically as he's chasing that car and leaping onto the car and all that to me, that's probably my favorite set piece or action scene in the whole movie. Um, and I think for whatever reason, the nighttime scenes, both the climax and that scene for whatever reason work better with, for me with the, the web swinging. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I pretty much agree with, with your points there. Uh, I don't have much to argue with you about. It kind of goes against my thought of if we should disagree on stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but what well, can you do? No, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, the one thing I'd say with the whole scene in the middle is, like I said, I don't know if the special effects is the daylight or it's a, that's probably got the most mishmash too of like practical stuff and CG kind of mixed all together. And sometimes you can see the seams a little bit with just like, Oh, that's definitely a guy leaping in a Spider-Man suit, you know, attached to a wire versus, oh, that's a CG Spider-Man swinging through the scene. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I like, I like pretty much all of the action sequences for what they do in the movie. Right. Uh, whether it be the parade scene or the, even the wrestling fighting scene or, or right. the, uh, you know, the, the, Roosevelt Island stuff is there's a lot of I think there's a lot of good stuff there uh, you, know, you know the other thing I, I don't know if I would have made a decision the way they did when it comes to the ending and how they have Peter just kind of like dismiss Mary Jane's advance at the end uh, I, I, did, I didn't like the way it left off the movie it just kind of felt a little melancholy you know, the whole, oh, I'm Spider-Man, I can't have a relationship with anybody now. Right. Uh, and and if, I, I can only think that they changed their mind on what direction to go to with that anyway, because uh, where we go in the second movie that we'll talk next time about. But I, I wasn't sure what they were thinking there. Yeah. I think um, maybe it was because I was a teenager when I saw it, but and maybe it's like the soap opera nature of the story. 
And I don't think, I think Raimi, you know, felt free to lean into the more, you know, like soap opera like tendencies that comic books have that maybe that's what they were going for. You know, like, I don't know. I, I would have liked, liked to like a John Romita cover with her, like crying on the cover, like, Oh, Spider-Man doesn't love me anymore or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, like that, that's almost what I kind of took that as. Um, I, I would have rather seen them ended on a little bit more of a positive note though. Yeah. Yeah. Now I can see that. I can see, I guess I feel like that's, part of him learning I, I guess maybe he's taking the wrong lesson but that idea of like well he's trying to be responsible you know he's trying to you know he already had his grandmother put in the hospital or his aunt put in the hospital whatever she is um aunt may i guess but you know she's been put in the hospital he doesn't need anyone else put in the hospital on his behalf i, I don't know that's that's kind of how i took it that and she had just been thrown off the bridge <laughs> you know 10 minutes before that part in the movie so mm-hmm. um Maybe that's maybe that's what he's thinking, but they they probably could have worked their way around it because I do think it ends on a positive note with like in terms of him swinging through the city at the end. I always thought that was a, like like a fun cap to the movie. But yeah, the 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 I mean the emotional climax of the movie is a downer for sure. I mean when he walks away from her, it's like dude, you're an idiot, you know. But. Yeah. Well, that's, all, that's it's a minor criticism, to be fair. Well, and I think they are setting it up to. I think you're right on the. They are kind of setting it up where when they kiss, she looks at him and she knows that it's him. At least that's how I always took it. I mean, that she in that moment as he's walking away, you know, has this moment of realization that that Peter is Spider-Man. And it's been a long time since I've seen two and three, so I can't remember how in two that plays out. But maybe they're just thinking. Like you said, we've got our trilogy-minded idea. This is, you know, the, you know, this is where we're going to leave it right here. But we know we're going to come back to it with part two or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah. What do you think of the score? You know, I I really like the score. I think the main theme is is really good, and um, I generally like the score. I I definitely bought the CD actually when it came out. Um, Let's see, I actually made a note about the score here. Basically, um, I don't think it's quite on the same par as Elfman's Batman score, which I think is probably, if not the best, one of the best all-time superhero scores, but it was different than his Batman score, yet still still good. I don't know, what'd you think of it? See, I feel like... like uh Elfman has been chasing his Batman score ever since he made it. Yeah. And this almost feels to me like the Batman score, only a light version of it. And I, I you know, I'm not, I, I, I honestly, I'm, it's not that I think it's bad, but I don't feel like it has a personality of its own because I do feel it's a little too similar to Batman. Okay. The Batman, and I, I feel like, like I said, I, I almost feel like Danny Elfman's been chasing that score sure. ever since, so that a lot of his stuff sounds like that now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's chosen to, to branch out and do things differently. Uh, so for that reason, I don't like it because it feels too similar to what we already had in Batman. Well, I will say this, that I think a lot of modern, and I'm looking right at the MCU when I say this, 
a lot of modern superhero movies, I feel like the scores are all like almost interchangeable. To to an extent, I agree with you, and I think a lot of the Marvel scores uh, have been nondescript. Yeah. Uh, there's there's only a handful that I feel like are truly recognizable. I think to me, the most of which is the Captain America theme. I would agree with that. And the Avengers, the Avengers theme is very, you know, that fan, the Avengers fanfare, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. That's a very distinct theme. I do feel like, regardless of how much or little it it references his Batman score, that the Spider-Man theme in this series of movies, to me, at least to me, maybe it's because it was prior to all the rest of them, or I don't know why, but it's distinctive enough to me that I mean, I could hum it along in my head where I could not hum along the theme to The Incredible Hulk or Thor 2 or something like that. You know what I mean? Sure. No, I agree. Yeah. I definitely agree on that. Uh, and just before we get to our ratings on this, uh, what do you know about the box office success? Well, so I made a note here. It was obviously like a huge hit. Um I said, let's see what I write down here. It made a total of almost $822 million, and it split almost 50-50 domestic and international in its take on a budget of $139 million. So that's that's pretty good. Um, well, that was that was in the days when one and a half, I think it was one and a half times your budget was considered to be a success. Right, so it was or, a was, huge. or was it two times? I'm trying to remember now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. But either way, um, it, it more than, it did more than that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a huge hit. So much so, in fact, that per box office mojos adjusted for inflation all-time you know, grossing list, it comes in at number 40 all-time, which uh, maybe doesn't sound too, too impressive, but in terms of the superhero genre, it's only behind Avengers, Black Panther, The Dark Knight, and Avengers Infinity War. Those are the only superhero movies ahead of it in that list of all-time adjusted grosses at the box office. So that's yeah. pretty good. I would agree. I think it's it's actually excellent. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when, you, when you start doing the, the adjusted gross, you know, you factor in, again, it's all time, <laughs> you know, and, and it's not, you know, there's so many movies that are, have been huge hits. So that if you're number 40, that, that's pretty high on the list. Well, when you get to that adjusted number two, because it's taking into account all-time grosses and if inflation and all that, you get some older movies you wouldn't even consider um, to be in the same league as some of these movies. But, like, number eight is Dr. Zivago. Mm-hmm. And you've got, you know, number 20 is The Sting, 1973's The Sting. They got my and, money on that one. I went to yeah. show that in the movies. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, so there's, you know, some of these 101 Dalmatians is the 12th gro- highest grossing movie of all time. Um, so, I mean, some of these you wouldn't necessarily think of. So I think when you put it in those in that kind of that kind of company that's made the top 40 in that list, and there's only a few superhero movies ahead of it, I think that's all the more impressive. And that's without 3D, IMAX, you know, D-Box, RPX, you know, all these, you know, basically, uh, you know, inflated ticket prices we pay now, so. Right, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's impressive. Yep. So, good for them. Good for uh, Sony, and they're still trying to 
live that down even to this day. You know, we've got the new Venom movie coming out here soon, so they're still trying to make the Spider-Man Spider-Man money flow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I well, I've already made given my thoughts on the upcoming Venom movie, but uh, uh, I that was a good episode. He had uh, Luke on for that one. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was that was fun. Uh, but I guess you know it's number forty all time. Yeah. But Jaws is number seven. Yep. So we have to say to ourselves, is it Jaws? <laughs> well, so I think it's the appropriate time. Hold on, I, gotta, I always got to give the yeah, give the descriptions. Here. Yeah. Uh, very quickly, Jaws is a great movie, uh, an all-time classic. Very few flaws, if any. Jaws two, very solid movie, very enjoyable watch, worthy of multiple rewatchings. Uh, nothing particularly wrong with it. Just doesn't reach the level of all-time classic. Jaws three. An enjoyable movie, but not a lot more than that. And Jaws 4 is a bad movie. So on your scale, where does this fall? It's going to be very high Jaws 2. I'd say right on the board, right on the cusp of Jaws level, but not quite because Jaws is, you know, I know it's a personal thing, but it's one of my all-time, all-time, all-time top two or three favorite movies ever. So there's going to be very few movies for me that get that high. Um, well, and just to just to clarify, it doesn't. You don't have to say it's that it it's, just like you know you said, that, like that, that, that it would movie. be as high on your list as Jaws, yeah. but it would have to be in that class. That's all. Um, I still don't think it's quite that class. Like I even consider that. I'm like, well, now, yeah, I don't think it's quite there. It's close. It's close. I do really enjoy this movie, though, and I think it came out at just the right time where, I mean, I just, I went and saw it multiple times in theater, wore it out on DVD when it came out. Um, I do really enjoy this movie. It was great to rewatch it here. The show, I'd say it's a very high Jaws 2 for me. What about yourself? Uh, I think it is a very enjoyable movie. I do have some quibbles with it that we've kind of talked about uh, as we've gone through it. Uh, I think it does have rewatchability, and uh, it's held up better than I thought. Originally, I thought, you know, as I was gonna re- getting ready to rewatch it for today, I thought I was going to see it as somewhat dated, and I really don't. Uh, I, I thought it was very enjoyable. So, uh, all things considered, for me, it is a solid Jaws two. It's not, not it, it's not really knocking on the door of Jaws, but it's very solid, very enjoyable. There you go. So very good. That's, that's where we are on this one. Uh, before we go any further, do you want to uh, tell anybody listening where they can find you? Yeah, I um, on the Two True Freaks Network, I co-host a show with Chris Tyler and uh, Dave Atterbury where we cover uh, the Netflix show Stranger Things. It's called Cast Protection. Um, we just have finished up covering the second season. It took us a little while to get through it, but we, uh, we cover all the episodes in depth, uh, of the show itself, as well as do movie commentaries on films, mostly from the seventies and eighties, uh, that influenced and uh, are referenced in the show itself. So that, uh, is a lot of fun with those guys. I do have a star Wars show, a star Wars show that I, I'm kind of on a hiatus right now. Things have been pretty uh, rocky in the Star Wars fandom online the last since the last Jedi came out. And honestly, 
Uh, it kind of took the wind out of my sails to continue recording about Star Wars for a while, but I've got some ideas on how I'm going to bring it back and uh, stay tuned on that. But that's called Into a Larger World. So oh, you can. Cool. I have not that. experienced that one yet. I'm going to have to. Oh yeah, that out. yeah. I think I think I've done like 13 or 14 episodes on that. But uh, if you want to check that out, it's Into a Larger World. Uh, it's on iTunes and everywhere good podcasts are found. So. Cool. I will. I will. I will seek that out. And oh, meanwhile, uh, in between, once you finish season two on Stranger Things, are you guys going to go back to doing some? Uh, movie reviews of the era from which that's taken? Yes. Yeah, we've got some ideas on a few. Um, we've got some ideas for a few for season two. All right, cool. Um, so cast protection will go on between seasons. It's going to go on. Yeah, it's going to go on. And they announced at Comic-Con, that was just a few weeks ago, that uh, there's going to be some Dark Horse miniseries oh, uh, cool. in comics. And there's going to be a prequel novel. And so they're basically doing like a, a Stranger Things expanded universe with some tie-in material that I wouldn't be shocked if we might uh, cover some of that as well. So there'll be stuff for you to cover. That's great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I look forward to that. I enjoy I think uh, not only do I enjoy the material that you're covering, but I think there's a nice, nice even chemistry between the three of you on the show, and it makes it a, a very enjoyable listen. So I appreciate that. We have a good time recording it. How about you, uh, Paul? I know they, they found you here, but do you normally uh, spot a, your other shows that's a, as well? That's a, I, I generally don't, but it's a nice uh-huh. handoff, and I appreciate it, and so I'm, so I'm going to. Go, go ahead. Uh, anybody listening to this who only knows me from this, you can also find me on Back to the Bins, where we review old comics, and on Listen to the Prophets, where we are doing an episode-by-episode review of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And like you... Those things are things that I do and have a lot of fun with. Well, I, for a long time, was trying to keep pace with you guys on uh, Listen to the Prophet. Is Listen to the Prophets? Yes. Yes. You guys just outpaced me, though. I got got to where I could not <laughs> keep up. So I'm, I've got a backlog on that. But I was trying to watch and then listen and watch and listen. Um, so I'll try and catch up on that. But if you're like me and you've uh, you've read a lot of comics but not necessarily gone into the way, way back machine, definitely give yourself a, a gift and listen to uh, Back to the Bins. It's a great show that exposes you to lots of, lots of good old comics with uh, some very knowledgeable hosts, and I, I really enjoy listening to it. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that very much. And thank you for coming on. Yeah, so I appreciate you having That'll cover Spider-Man, but uh, somewhere in the not-too-distant future, John will be back, and we'll cover Spider-Man 2. I look forward to it. We think of that. So thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, I'd always appreciate it if you'll take the time and go to iTunes and give me some reviews. But uh, see you next time. Thanks for the ride. Oh, wait a minute, Peter. We, uh, We need to talk. Well, we can talk later. Well, we can talk now, if you let me. What do we have to talk about? Why now? Because we haven't talked at all for so long. Your Aunt May and I don't even know who you are anymore. You shirk your chores. You, you have all those weird experiments in, in, your, in your room. You, you start fights at school. We I don't didn't know. start that fight. I told you that. Yeah, well, you sure as hell finished. What was I supposed to do? Run away? No, no. You're not supposed to run away, but... Pete, look. You're changing. I know. I went through exactly the same thing at your age. No, not exactly. Peter... 
these are the years when a man changes into the man he's going to become the rest of his life. Just be careful who you change into. This guy, Flash Thompson, he probably deserved what happened. But just because you can beat him up, doesn't give you the right to. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. Are you afraid that I'm going to turn into some kind of criminal? Quit worrying about me, okay? Something's different. I'll figure it out. Stop lecturing me, please. I don't mean to lecture and I don't mean to preach. And I know I'm not your father. Then stop pretending to be. Right. I'll pick you up here at 10.